This podcast is brought to you by My Wedding Professionals. A group of award-winning suppliers and experts for your wedding day. Hello again and welcome to our latest podcast for My Wedding Professionals. We are a group of multi-award winning wedding suppliers based in Kent from whom you can find all your wedding essentials, from dresses to designer rings, from photos to fairy lights and basically anything you need for a great wedding. I am Tim Cullen, professional DJ from Mint DJ Services, and in these podcasts we'll be chatting with one of our own experts to give some ideas, inspiration and options for your very special wedding day. And we hope that you'll find them informative, interesting and amusing. I am with my very good friend, Peter Thompson, professional Toastmaster, and I can say this is going to be a little bit different from our normal podcasts as Peter is normally the one doing the interviewing. So, Peter, welcome to the other side of the microphone. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here, Tim. <laughs> um, so, to start off with, Peter, I mean, I've worked with you many times over the years, uh, and I'm sure that many people have no idea about Toastmasters. Can you start by explaining exactly what it is you do? Yes, of course. And... It's really quite a wide remit. I see my job as doing everything possible to make the wedding day work in the way the couple would like it to work. Mm -hmm. So that involves getting involved in the planning. It involves dealing with the ceremonial aspects of the day, speeches, cake cutting, opening dance, anything else that might be happening. If we think about it, the wedding day that everybody shares only lasts a matter of hours. And I think it's important for me to do everything possible to make sure that in that short time, everything happens in the way the couple have planned mm -hmm. and the way they want it to happen. And also to make sure that everybody as far as is possible, knows what is happening at every stage of the day with the idea that the couple, their parents, their families and all the guests can relax and enjoy a fabulous day. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because, you know, they, they want no worries at all. In history, has, has there always been Toastmasters? Obviously, it's quite a classic job people see it as. I mean, how long have there been Toastmasters for? Well... I wouldn't like to say when they started, but they have been around in some form or other for centuries. Mm. For example, in Georgian times, if one was eating a meal, it was not considered polite to drink with the meal unless one was taking part in drinking a toast. So in those days, people employed toastmasters to propose often witty toasts during the course of the meal to allow people to drink and perhaps get a little legless. Mm -hmm. The downside was that the toastmasters in those days also took part in the toasts mm -hmm. and he himself <laughs> sometimes got a little bit legless. Mm -hmm. And it is for that reason that you can still see glasses with extra thick walls that are called deception or toastmaster glasses and the idea of those was the toastmaster could fill it it would look as if 
He's drinking as much as everybody else, but he didn't, and so he could stay sober and complete his duties. Wow. It's not an issue today. <laughs> wow, that is amazing. That's amazing. Have you, have you got one of those glasses? I've got a few. Oh, amazing. That's great. Um, so um, how did you become a Toastmaster? What, what started you off? I got lucky. Mm. Really, like so many other people, I had no idea about Toastmasters. I went to a couple of events. They were not weddings, but I went to a couple of events at which there was a Toastmaster. And chatting to my wife afterwards, we both thought that the Toastmaster didn't really make any difference. Okay. And I thought, well, oh, perhaps I could do that. I was lucky to have a couple of Toastmaster friends mm. who basically said, oh, you'd make a great Toastmaster. So I signed up for a residential training course, mm. and it started from there. In fact, I got into a little bit of trouble about that because the course started on the day following my daughter's wedding. Oh, wow. The course started the day after the wedding? Yes. <laughs> right. So who did your, wed your daughter's wedding then? We didn't have one. Oh. And I think with hindsight... The only thing that I would change about our daughter's wedding is that I would have had a Toastmaster because I spent the day running around to check what's happening next, chase up various members of staff at the venue, uh, and it meant that I wasn't able to relax with my wife and family and enjoy the time with our guests oh. as much as I would really like to. Um, but, of course, I didn't know then what I know now. Um, so one thing I've always noticed about Toastmasters is that they always wear a red coat, um, swallowtail red coat, sometimes with some sort of badges on or, or some sort of memorabilia. So um, why do Toastmasters wear red coats, first of all? It's not Butlins, is it? You're not from training Butlins. <laughs> No, I'm, I would be nowhere near good enough to be that sort of red coat. Um, but I'm often asked about the red coat. Um, in years gone by, a Toastmaster would most often be seen at a formal dinner, a banquet, a, a grand event, mm. and would always wear the same formal evening wear as all the guests. Right. That is a white tie, white Marcella-fronted shirt, waistcoat, and a black tailcoat. Mm. The difficulty was it was hard to tell the Toastmaster from everyone else. They all looked the same. There was a fellow called William Knight Smith who is reputed to be the first one to wear a red coat, and he wore a red tailcoat to stand out from everyone else. I think his grandmother suggested he did that. Edward, the Prince of Wales at the time, commented favourably upon it and it's become the accepted dress for Toastmasters today. I'll wear whatever people like me to wear as long as I can still be effective and as long as it's not so ridiculous that it brings the Toastmaster profession into disrepute. Okay. You will not see me dressed as a stormtrooper <laughs> or a Viking 
Um, what what is what is the most memorable wedding uh, out of all the ones you've done? The first wedding I ever did as a paid engagement still features in the Guinness Book of Records. Oh wow! So that's quite uh, memorable. They had the oldest bridesmaid, and I think it was the bride's great grandmother was a hundred and five years old. Wow! And they had five generations of the female side of the bride's family there. Oh. And on that day, it was quite interesting because there are certain forms that have to be completed uh, for the Guinness Book of Records by an independent professional. So they asked me if I would complete those, examine her uh, birth certificate and all this sort of thing. Um, so that was that, that certainly stood out. Wow. And, and since then, I've done that bride's mother's wedding, which oh. is an unusual uh, turnaround for the books. One thing that's always interested me is um, obviously there's a lot of tradition in what you do. Um, things like the speech orders, um, should those speeches go before or after the meal? Um you know, is there any set timings or any rules around that sort of thing that you need to adhere to? Very interesting question, Tim. And the answer is yes and or no. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mentioned a little while ago, there are no rules. Right. And I believe couples should have exactly what they want, how and when they want it. I always like to have a planning meeting with couples round about six weeks before the wedding mm. because by that stage, most things are in place and there's still a little bit of time to do any fine-tuning. Yeah. And I always say that at that meeting, I am happy to tell couples the traditional way of doing anything at all, mm. the alternative options and the pros and cons of each. Okay. For example, nobody ever cuts a wedding cake nowadays at the traditional time. When is it the just doesn't happen. When is the traditional time? It always used to be cut, probably after the main course, so that it could be served at the end of the meal with coffee or right. tea. Yeah. But, of course, after a three-course meal, people were full and the cake was served and nobody ate it. Mm. It was complete waste. So they don't do that. So that's just one example of the way tradition has changed. You specifically asked about speeches. Mm. Uh, and I mentioned a little while ago the pros and cons of any decision that can be made. Any decision can have a knock-on effect somewhere else on the day perhaps. Mm. Particularly so with speeches. Why do people want speeches at the start of the meal? Sometimes it's because they want to drink heavily. Sometimes it's because they are so nervous that they want uh, to get them out of the way. Yeah. So the advantage to them is it's done, they can relax and enjoy the meal. The potential downside for speeches at the start of the meal is that whilst somebody is nervous, if somebody laughs at a joke gives them a round of applause after saying something poignant, they kind of get into it. And if they're not used to public speaking, they're not used to managing time. Yeah. The meal, if it's after the speeches, is a big part of the wedding budget. 
It's a big part of the guest's enjoyment. And whilst there's a degree of flexibility, it won't keep forever. Mm. So a cold starter is more flexible than souffle, for right. example. Mm-hmm. So in that respect, do you, do you get, get, get involved with in a way, the planning of yeah, the, yeah. Actual, the Absolutely. actual the, the meal. That's, that's, that's the whole point of that meeting, mm. to, to have that sort of discussion with the couple. Mm. And what I always say, if, if they were to say, what is the best time for the speeches? I generally say that traditionally the speeches will be at the end of the meal. And apart from it just being tradition, there are practical reasons why it fits neatly there. If you have the speeches at the start of the meal, particularly if guests have missed lunch with a wedding early in the day, they are probably sitting there thinking, feed me. Mm. Speeches at the end of the meal, the guests are replete. They've just had a lovely three-course meal. They've had a couple of glasses of wine. They've had a chat with their friends. They're mellow. They're relaxed. They're ready to be entertained. And the speeches are always better received. And I will do all I can to put the speakers who might have been nervous at rest, give them any tips and advice about what they might wish to do, how they can manage themselves to get through it but the Mm. bottom line is as I said before there are no rules Mm. and we will do what we can to deliver what they wish Mm. and work around the practical implications of it yeah okay well I mean so basically you know you're not just someone who stands up and announces things and tells people to do be there at a certain time it's actually arranging the day and planning the day because of your experience and knowing how things can work People regularly say to me when I speak to them at a wedding fair, when they have no idea about what a Toastmaster is or does, at the end of that conversation, they say, so you're kind of like a wedding planner, a wedding coordinator. And the answer is, that is part of the job. Well, that leads me on to my next question. I mean, I've heard people say their wedding is going to be really relaxed, so they think a Toastmaster will make it a bit too formal. And they think they could just get their their friends or their best men to stand in and and do your job for you. I mean, what what do you think about that? Strangely enough, it's not the first time I've heard many elements (laughs) of that question. Yeah, There is a perception that having a Toastmaster makes the whole event more formal. But, of course, there are different styles of weddings. Mm. I have worked at weddings that have been incredibly formal throughout the day, Parents in particular said, please, can you make sure that this is strictly adhered to? It's their wedding. If that's what they want to do, I will do exactly what they wish. Mm -hmm. But for an awful lot of people, they want a, a relaxed atmosphere. They want it to be friendly. They want it to have a happy vibe, which is great. But there is still always a shape and a structure to the day. Mm -hmm. And whilst it is relaxed, it still needs coordinating and organising. The Toastmaster's delivery can be slightly different, but a relaxed wedding in some ways 
often needs a lot more work. I've worked at some very relaxed weddings. Uh, there was one at a National Trust castle where the couple got married at a castle at the bottom of the empire, and then they went on to the terrace for drinks and canapes. The speeches were delivered standing on the terrace, for which I had to take a PA system, but that's by the by. Um, everybody then moved to a hotel in Tunbridge Wells where the meal was a hog roast, but nobody sat down. There were no seats provided because they wanted everybody to remain on their feet. Mm. That was incredibly relaxed, one would argue, but it needed a, lot of a great deal of coordination. I see my job as not being the sergeant major <laughs> and bossing people around because that's not what people want yeah. and it's not what they will respond to. Mm. Wherever possible, I spend my day inviting people to join me for whatever rather than saying, right now, take your places, uh, you've got to do this now. Mm. Um, that's not what people want at weddings generally. Now, the other part of the question you asked there, Tim, was uh, the issue of the best man or a friend. He's got a loud voice. He is going to do that for us. We don't need a toastmaster. Yes. When I hear that at a wedding fair, I always try to bite my tongue <laughs> because it's not my place to tell people what they should have, of course, but I always really want to say, why don't you like him? <laughs> and there is so much more to the job than making announcements. After every wedding, I go home and I am exhausted because there is always something to do. The best man is one of the principal guests. Mm. By definition, the bridegroom's best friend and should be allowed to relax and enjoy his day with everybody else. I'd also suggest that I now have experience of hundreds of weddings. Mm. The best man may have been to perhaps one, two, three, or none. Yeah. And uh, another possible tongue-in-cheek comment mm. is I will be totally sober throughout the day, mm. which may not be the same <laughs> for, the, for the best man or the friend. It goes without saying that it's, it's such a needed job on a, on a day like that, controlling that many people for sure. I... I couldn't agree more. <laughs> it's crowd control. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, um, so how far are you willing to travel? How far do you want me to go? Um, I have worked at weddings around Kent, obviously, throughout London and the South East, as well as as far away as Devon, Dorset, Northamptonshire, and I was lucky enough to work at a beautiful wedding one New Year's Eve at the National Railway Museum in York, and that was stunning. But, of course, as a Toastmaster, I don't just work at weddings. I do work a lot at city events and have worked at corporate events up and down the UK and in many different places in France, Spain, Switzerland, Germany, Italy, 
and across Europe. So once once someone's booked you for their wedding, when do your duties start? When do you have that first consultation with them? Well, I suggest that people book any of their wedding supplies, if they can, as far in the future as possible, Uh, particularly if they are somebody like a photographer, a, a toastmaster, because there's only one of me, and once I'm booked... That day mm-hmm. is gone. Yes. So book way in advance. But once I'm booked, I like to say that I'm constantly available for any advice that may be required. And then roughly about six weeks before the wedding, I like to meet the couple for a planning meeting to go through everything that's going to happen on the day. Well, you mentioned this earlier, but is a planning meeting actually... Um Um, necessary if they've already got everything planned already? I think it's essential. I'm aware of Toastmasters um, that I speak to who say, oh, I don't do planning meetings or I charge extra for that. But very often that planning meeting is the first time that every part of the wedding day is considered as a whole and when it really comes together... And at that time, it's useful to confirm all of the plans because there is still time for a little bit of fine-tuning. As perhaps an example, I have now worked for a number of wedding coordinators who have been wedding coordinators at wedding venues. And at the planning meeting for their weddings, almost invariably, they say at some time, do you know, Peter, we hadn't thought of that? Mm. Because it's it's looking at the planning from a slightly different slightly different angle. Yes, well, absolutely. I mean, uh, having worked with you on numerous occasions, um, I have noticed you, know, you really go the nth degree to make sure everything is all comfortable. I think I remember once there was, a, a, I think it was a door that kept on slamming and you managed to pull out from your bag a doorstop that you just had <laughs> with you or <also. laughs> You, the amount of things you carry in your bag just in case, what sort of other things do you carry? It's not just it's when people need help in any way, shape or form, what other sort of things do you carry with you? Well, the doorstop is an interesting one because I went through a stage where I was getting through countless doorstops. <laughs> Silly example, when the bride and bridegroom come into the wedding breakfast, for example, yeah. It's nice to open two doors so they can make a grand entrance. Yes. But hotels got paranoid about fire regulations at one stage and they either said you're not allowed to use doorstops. Um, And if I did use them because I promised to remove them straight away, people stole them because they were so useful. Um, But doorstops, just one of the things I carry. Um, When I started this business... I found that something would happen and I'd go away and reflect on it and think it might be helpful if I carried that for the future. Drawing, so I, drawing pins, I think, you carry oh, a I, I, Yeah, drawing pins, safety pins, all sorts of pins, mm. flower pins. Mm. Um, but I started carrying a little, little blue bag uh, and then that got quite full mm-hmm. and I moved to a small suitcase <laughs> and I now carry two small suitcases because there are lots of things that might just come in handy. Well, this, this, is, this is where the experience comes into it, you know. It's not just you telling people where to go at a specific, specific time. You're there to help out for everything, aren't you? 
and as I said earlier, people come to the Toastmaster with their problems. Yes. So they say, oh, uh, you don't know where I can get a... Has anybody got a charger for my phone? Because I want to take some photographs and my phone is flat. Yeah. Well, I carry a charger for every sort of phone known to man. <laughs> Well, that's that's, that's amazing. That's amazing. I mean, well, that leads me on to my next question, really. I mean, what's what's the most interesting or unusual thing that you've had to do at a wedding? One thing that I didn't have at the time and really wished I had and which I carry now is a, an emergency space blanket. And you can think, what on earth can you want that for? The space bike, what is in sort of like a shiny foil? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, right. I was at a wedding, maybe Derbyshire or whatever, and um, at one point I was conscious that there was something happening and one of the bridesmaids, who was possibly around seven, had wandered off and walked into a lake. Oh. But she was covered in mud up to her bottom, what do you do with a child that is covered in mud? Uh, we managed somehow and got in a bit of a state that day, so I now carry a space blanket on the very rare chance that anything like that is ever going to happen again, just to scoop them up in it and carry them away, throw so them what, in a shower. What don't you carry? I don't know what I don't carry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to need. You tell me. So one thing I've thought about is um, at a wedding, I've always felt that if things run late, then it's normally because the bride and groom are having a good time. However, there are things that need to happen at certain points in the day. If things are running behind time, how do you push things back and how important is it? Very often I meet couples who are very paranoid about times. Mm. And what I, the first thing I try to say is that I think there are only two actual timings in the day which are fairly important. One is the ceremony. Yeah. Because if you are hugely late for that, it's hard to win that time back. Yes. And if I were to say a few years ago, I had a bride who was an hour and 40 minutes late for her ceremony. Oh, wow any sort of plan for the day is irretrievable. Mm. Um, there are some things that can't be avoided, and I won't go into all the details now, but I had a, a couple who, um, as the reception drinks were starting, um, bride burst into tears, family huddle, and they said, we've got to go back to the church because we've just had a phone call to say we're not legally married. Um, wow. We had to accommodate that, of course. Um, but the ceremony is important. The other time that I think is fairly important is the time of the meal. Mm. Because whilst there's always a degree of flexibility, the meal is a big part of the budget, big part of the guest's enjoyment, and logically won't keep forever. Mm. And we want the guests to enjoy, have the best experience of every stage of the day possible, including the meal. Mm. So we can't really be late for that. Plus. And that time between the ceremony and the meal is often hugely busy yes. because there is a lot happens 
during that time. Mm. But apart from that, I suggest that my plan of the day is more or less a shape of the day and everything they want in it rather than a hard and fast timeline. Mm. Um, but sometimes we do have to try to move things along a little bit discreetly if we can mm. without appearing to. And sometimes we have to do the reverse if the meal is going to is rushing through, we can sometimes say to the catering staff, please just relax and slow down a little bit because what we don't want is a three-hour gap between yeah. the meal and the evening starting. Yeah. So if, if, if things are running very late, um, I've, I've known some people to try and do the speeches either, you know, during the main course or during the desserts. Do you think that's a good thing or should that ever happen or what would you suggest? I always try to suggest that the caterers should be allowed to do what they need to do. Mm. So if we weren't planning any gaps in the meal, serve the meal. Mm. We can speed up the service of the meal by changing the way it is served right. uh, and moving to a rolling clear. Um, well, this, 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 is, this is where you, your knowledge comes in second to none because you actually understand the catering well, um, as well. Well, at the City of London, at a banquet at mm. Mansion House, they will wait until everyone is finished and then they will clear everybody's plate. They generally have a staff of hundreds, but that's by the by. At a wedding, if you're planning to do that and they're running late, what they can do is start serving the top table and then everybody else. By the time the last course plate has been served, the first people served might have finished. So mm. very shortly after that, they can then start that rolling clear. That saves a bit of time. Gotcha. But... I do stress that we shouldn't be paranoid about time. We'll make what time savings we can, but there are some things we shouldn't do. And you said start the speeches during the meal. The speeches, people put a lot of work into speeches and a lot of heartache. I think it's nice for people to sit and listen to them. Mm. So let them sit and listen mm. and do them after the meal. Perfect. So if anyone wants to get hold of you or learn more about your services, um, where can they find you online? Online, I'm on www.southeast-toastmasters.co.uk and I'm also on Facebook, Toastmaster Peter Thompson. Okay, that's perfect, thanks. And I suppose also we can find you on our, on our My Wedding Professionals uh, page as well. Well, yes, details of myself and the rest of our team are, of course, on My Wedding Professionals, which you're going to highlight shortly, I suspect. <laughs> you know the format so well. Well, thanks very much for talking to me, Peter. I hope you enjoyed uh, speaking on this end of the microphone. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, Tim. Tim Cullen from Mint DJ Services and I've been speaking to professional Toastmaster and good friend Peter Thompson. We are all from My Wedding Professionals and we can be found at myweddingprofessionals.co.uk on Facebook and on Instagram. So until the next episode when Peter will be back in charge, I'll see you again very soon.